The Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Mom Show. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense. We are the real defenders of the home front. We are there when it comes to defending our families and our communities. And I am your host today, Delaine England, and I have two amazing Liberty Dads with us today because Liberty Moms know how important Liberty Dads are to defending our communities, our families, and our nation. And so I am super excited to have these two young men. I wish the only really bad thing about a radio podcast is that you can't see these guys are young and just sharp, absolutely amazing, very impressive. We have Bobby Clayson with us. Bobby is an entrepreneur. He's a software engineer, and he is also the owner of several businesses. He's lived in the state of Utah nearly his whole life. And he is the definition of a true Utah. He and his wife, Mary, have four kids, and they live on a six-and-a-half-acre homestead in Salem, Utah. Yes, I am so jealous. Bobby spent 10 years working on Utah tech startups, and he solved many of their biggest problems that they had. But in 2018, he co-founded TaxBit. It's a tax and accounting software company for digital assets like Bitcoin. And it is now a billion-dollar Utah tech company. And he doesn't even look old enough to actually spell billion. So he's just brilliant and still so young. He owns and co-founded the Utah Readiness Center with a retired Army Ranger, Devin Soto. And that's in Fillmore. And it's called the Utah Readiness Center. And it's a tactical firearms and emergency readiness training facility it's going to be opening in march i'm super excited about it i can't wait to go to it and we will be having him back and be talking about that as we get a little closer but bobby's most recent accomplishment which is why we're having him on our show today is he is the president and co-founder of the people restored and it is a grassroots political mobilization organization that champions states' powers, individual liberties, and the limitations on federal government. And so we are really, really excited to have you with us, Bobby. Welcome. Thank you. Pleased to be here. Thank you so much. Okay, and then we're going to welcome Philip Taylor, our other guest. He is the executive director of The People Restored, this awesome organization. He is an experienced business leader. For 17 years, he was the leader of revenue generation, training, and management experience. And he ran a $22 million sales site for Wyndham Destinations. He most recently was the vice president of development for the Firearms Policy Coalition. He is driven to build the solutions and to restore American exceptionalism. He's a married father of five. He is also building an off-grid family farm. So these guys have got it going. 
And the way that I met them, I invite all of you, they put the, um, they put on the People Restored put on an event. I think you do it most every Wednesday, don't you? Yeah, every Wednesday. And it's usually in Lehigh, worth the drive. And they always have amazing guests, but I, I met both of them there and very impressed. And they really are in the know of what is happening in our community, in our state and in our country. They're on top of it. And what I really love too, is they're not just about here are the problems, here's what's happening. They are very much about mobilizing people, getting people to act because we really can restore our liberty if we are willing to stand up and do something about it. So we're going to start off the day talking about ESG. And I'm thinking most of you have probably heard of it, but for those of you who haven't, ESG is environmental <coughs> social governance. <laughs> I'm so used to saying ESG that I have to stop and think about what it means. So in, you just think about it, environmental and social governance. This is the template of what China has been doing for years. And it has absolutely come to America. It is in the United States. Very much come to Utah. And so, Bobby and Phil, how did you guys get to even know what was going on with ESG? What do you think is the problem with inviting ESG into our communities, into our state? Yeah, I think I think I came to to know about ESG through uh, the issue with farmers, right? So in in 2020, um, we saw a lot of supply chain shocks, and one of those was to our food supply chain, and there was issues with with bare bare shelves for beef and chicken and things like that. And I I recognized that that um, through some research that meat processing had become centralized. And then I dug a little bit deeper and discovered that meat processing wasn't just centralized. It was actually had formed into a cartel structure. So it was basically monopolized. And then as I dug deeper into that issue at large, I became aware that a lot of environmental um, forces were at play. I've got my son walking over here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, a lot of environmental forces were, were at play here that were working against farmers, right? So if you look at the issue that's going on in the, in the Netherlands, for example, the farmers are being blamed for a whole bunch of pollution, even though they're highly efficient and actually one of the more green countries. And what's happened with them is they're being told that they have to dramatically cut back the synthetic fertilizer, which means their outputs have reduced dramatically which means that their profitability, which is already running on razor thin margins has depleted. So then you dig into uh, the whole of ESG and you're not just talking about environmental things that affect our food. You're talking about a set of standards that require employers to have uh, quotas around, you know, people that they hire, what their woke score is, so to speak, right? That they're, they've got to have, Lots of BIPOC people and stuff like that. So I think that's how I discovered it. And what was your other question? That That is really fantastic. And then my thought is, what what? how does it affect us here in Utah? How is it affecting us? Yeah, so it's just beginning to affect us here. One of the things, as someone who's been in the tech space for a long time, 
I can tell you that a lot of we, we all know that Silicon Valley is is very liberal woke going um, and a lot of their money and businesses are flowing here because we have a lot of educated business people and software engineers. So we've got our own Silicon Slopes growing. And with that has come their their money and their money comes with values, their values specifically. You know, an example of that was when I was working for a particular tech company that I won't mention, um, they were frustrated that we had only one uh, BIPOC person and one woman, and they they would not give us money unless we hired greater diversity. And we said, hey, we would love to hire whoever is best fit for the job, but I'm sorry we're here in Utah. Look at the demographics, right? Most um, people are white and most working people are male. And so we don't have that many options. They did not care whatsoever. They, they only cared that we meet their standards, no matter what it was. You have to hire a woman, even though she's not applying for the job. Yeah, we've got, we have, we have to go find, we have to go find token people and hire them somewhere. It's, it's almost like a, an expense of, well, hopefully you can find someone you need, but if you don't, then just hire somebody no matter what because you need to have that score just hire them even if they can't do it but you could always have someone self-identify as a woman that's there's always that bobby <laughs> there is there is there is always that <laughs> it's a new option that's been opened up to us so <laughs> i've i've always thought that a dress looks very breezy and comfortable so um, i don't know yeah, especially when it's hot it's very yes. nice when it's hot it keeps you much cooler exactly right Okay, awesome. So, Phil, how did you get involved? How did you get to know? How did you get to know about ESG? So, I I would say that my path to it was slightly different. Um, my my primary focus had been doing some more research on climate change stuff. Uh, you know, it's really easy to outright basically say, okay, this is all a bunch of malarkey. But I decided that I wanted to really understand. I mean, obviously, there's a very large group of people. To feel like it's real, um, and I wanted to understand their perspective. And during my research on the issue, I found that uh, the efforts in the United States specifically had been largely hedged out. It had, it had largely been stopped on a legislative end. Uh, I mean, the EPA is is its own nightmare, but because it's its own nightmare, it's also ignite ignited a lot of resistance to further changes. And so, what ESG was it was like it was basically was a clever way for these investment companies to basically say, oh, well, we don't have to legislate this. We can take people's own money that you're investing in the market, and then we can manipulate the outcomes we want by setting our own standards about uh, what companies are required to do in order to be uh, to be green companies. And uh, it was just, it, it's very clever. Like they're, they're being very clever about it, but the, the, the misnomer that I thought was that my initial impression was that, oh, well, they're, they're using their own investment money. They can do whatever they want. I don't care, you know, but that's not true. They're actually using your money. If you have money in the market, if you have it in an investment firm, they're using your money to apply uh, ideological positions that have nothing to do with the merits or success of a business from a purely economic standpoint. So it's actually kind of fraudulent to the investors themselves. And that, that was my introduction into ESG was that they're, you know, looking at it from a the investor standpoint and from how they're basically enforcing their uh, climate change, global warming agenda through uh, investment. 
Excellent. That is so well said. I just want to say to you, I'm so impressed of how brilliant and how you were able to recognize these things and see what was happening. Because to be honest with you, being really politically active, I go up on the hill um, almost every one of the 45 days or 33 days that we're in session in the state of Utah. And I have been talking about ESG without using that terminology because I wasn't aware of that terminology, but I've been telling our legislators and warning them about the, these PPP, the public-private partnerships with the government, saying, you know, it sounds really nice, but when you think about how you're picking winners and losers and how now these private entities are starting to do things, take our liberties and our civil rights away from us, and they're, they're doing it instead of the government doing it. So they're kind of uh, backdooring in. And we've been talk talking about this for 10 years and had very little success with the legislators. But what's super exciting is how the legislators are really waking up to this and seeing what's going on and starting to see some of the ties and connections. Not fully, but they are starting to wake up. So you guys became aware, which is very impressive, and then you decided to do something about it. So tell me what you feel, like what, what is your plan of action? What, can, what have you been doing about it personally as an organization? Tell us about your organization. Go you want me to start or do you want to go? go for Why it, don't so. you go first, Bobby, and then we'll have Phil go. Okay, great. Yeah, so our, our organization was really, here's, here's the truth about ES, ESG is that it is, it is so damaging to our economy and markets and our food supply chain and everything else. It has so much potential to wreck uh, everything that really the only, the primary defense that we need to have is localized self-sufficiency. And that is really the reason that the People Restored was started is to put people into communities, um, to teach them how to be self-reliant and to get them to be reliant on one another, to employ one another, to shop with one another, um, and to produce as much of their own goods as possible. Because we can fight ESG. There's a lot of things that we can and should do. But globally, it's having a, it's having an impact globally. Like we we're a, we're a globalized economy. There's no way we can resist all we want here in Utah or even in the United States. And the fact is that we are dependent on the products of other countries that are moving right forward with implementing ESG and is going to have an impact on everybody. So, I would say the biggest thing that we're attempting to do is uh, drive self sufficiency and community interdependence for our, member, for our members. Fantastic. What a fabulous answer. Okay, Phil? Yeah, I mean, right along the lines with what Bobby's saying, I mean, uh, for us more than anything, I feel like the, the issue that I've run into over all the years in politics, I know you say we're young, but <laughs> I've been involved for a long time, and my, my biggest complaint over and over is that uh, we're, we're you know, people in the liberty realm, conservative, libertarian, whatever they are, they talk about uh, this idea of self-reliance, but then they go straight to government and say, fix this problem for us. Stop, exactly. stop this badness. Yeah. Exactly. And so, 
And so the organization's goal is basically to do a couple of simple things. Um, the first thing to combat ESG, like Bobby said, is we need to localize our economies. Stop spending money with people who hate you and want to destroy your way of life. Uh, we want to find the people and the companies locally here that don't want to do that and build a community around them being um, – you know, there's self-sufficiency, but then there's a lot of things that you can't do for yourself that are just inefficient to do for yourself. And so why not find other organizations and other people locally who are doing those that may have those specialties and do your business with them in, instead of otherwise. Uh, so my big, uh, my big thing that I feel like more than anything has to happen is people have to take that charge themselves. And that's what the organization is about doing is, is mobilizing yourself into not only being more independent and prepared, but also into building a community and actually building an economy that doesn't rely on that system. And the more that we are building something, the easier it is to protect it. Because right now it's like we're, we're fighting like a, a wall. It's like there's just all this stuff happening. Like Bobby is saying, it's globally. And us trying to stop the big four meat manufacturing plants from being you know, evil, let's just call it that. That, that's not going to happen. Let's let's be realistic. I mean, the enemy has been working at this game since the 1960s, and what we're going to turn that around in a year? That's not happening. But what can happen is we can create competition that is localized, that gives people an alternative, and by creating that competition, we can disrupt their system. If more and more people are, for example, buying their food locally and they're buying it directly from each other and they're bypassing the system and they're building their own system – well, then you've just created major disruption and you're making your own community more resilient because it's not dependent on that. And so I would say that uh, for us, the, the uh, excuse me, the People Restored and the private membership association we're building is all built around this idea of building an alternative economy and building an alternative community that allows people to engage in a meaningful way and actually creating the solution rather than just complaining about the problem. Yeah. So we're we're referring to this sort of movement as the exodus, right? Um, we're all we're all trapped in this sort of matrix-like structure of of ways in which the, the the powers that be or the powers that are trying to destroy our liberty have got all these levers to pull on us, right? Our food supply, our money supply, your job, your social reputation, whatever it is, they they have these ways of sticking their fingers into our lives and affecting our kids and forcing us to behave or or incentivizing us to behave in a particular manner that suits what they want. And so the the, the purpose of the organization and this exodus is to leave those systems, right? To exit them, to encourage parents to take uh, control and show them and give them tools to take control of their kids' education, for example. Um, and to take control of their own food supply and to take control of, you know, to get to get employed by someone who's not going to fire them because they have conservative values and that they believe that uh, biological sex and gender are are inherent and, and scientific. I mean, it's really it's really hard to it's really hard to fight what you hate when all your shopping is done on Amazon. All of your investment is through BlackRock. All of your schooling is done in public schools. Like, how do you own any part of your life? You exactly. don't. And so you either build the alternative because it really doesn't exist, which is going to be a lot of work, but there's a lot of enthusiasm for that. 
um, either build the alternative so that way piece by piece you can walk away from it or just keep complaining about it and hope that somehow your legislators are going to stop it because they're not. You are so right. Legislators can't stop it because they don't really even understand what is really happening. And they feel up against, and you said it ever so well, like we're not going to be able to stop this international drive and this international connection with public-private partnerships. There's no way we're going to stop this. But you asked a really great question, and I just want to drive this home. Why do we spend our money with companies and countries who hate us and want to destroy us? I just want to ask everyone to ask themselves, why are you doing that? Why do you keep supporting? Maybe it's because you don't know who you're supporting. Maybe you don't know what they're supporting. But it's like reading, picking up something that you're going to buy at the grocery store that you're going to consume, put it into your body. You read the label because you want to know what it is you're going to eat. That's We kind of have to do that on a grander scale. we got to start reading the labels and see who we're doing business with, what they're really about. And it does take some education. And that's why I'm so glad you guys are here. You're fantastic educators. You're really great at articulate, drilling down, getting out the message, and again, at mobilizing people and making sure they know. So I do want to let people know about your website because they can go on there and get a lot of really excellent information. And so um, that is peoplerestored.org. Is that right? Thepeoplerestored.org or .com. Oh, okay. So we Either one. That way they can't really screw up. Yeah. Yep. ThePeopleRestored.org, ThePeopleRestored.com. Either way, you go on there. And that is a great way to connect. Plus your meetings. Your meetings are so fabulous. You get so much great information. Plus you get a chance to connect with other like-minded people who really want to be self-sufficient, which I love. I love your mission and I love your message because it isn't about giving the power or going and getting someone else to do something to save you. It's about, we've got to do this ourselves. I absolutely love it. So I want to ask you this question. What do you think is the most difficult obstacle before us right now? What's I think that, oh, God, sorry. <laughs> no, what is in our way first? Uh, the most, I think the most difficult obstacle is being willing to take on the challenge and, and actually make the change um, and actually take over that. I think that's the, the hardest thing to do. You mean uh, for like regular say, citizens? You're talking regular citizens, regular people, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I feel like they need to, like, actually deciding that you're going to build the solution rather than complain about the problem is a very hard decision to make. Yeah. And I, I, I would add to that, and I would say the biggest obstacle is is for individuals to choose to do what is right and what is best over what is convenient, right? So much, so much of our world around us, our economy is based on a heavy level of convenience that gets us addicted. Mm -hmm. Really good example is, is, you know, the school system and, and homeschooling. It's like, it's really convenient. Uh, to go drop your kids off and it's a hard decision. It's not an easy decision. I'm not going to pretend it's easy at all to bring your kids home and figure out how to homeschool them and, and put them with other kids and curriculum and what are you going to do? There's all that sort of questions. Um, Fantastic. We are going to take 
take a break and we're going to be right back to finish our conversation. Thank you. Stay with us. Welcome back. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Mom Show. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense. We are the real defenders of the home front, and we are there when it comes to defending our families and our communities. And we're so happy to have these two amazing Liberty Dads with us today, Bobby Clayton and Philip Taylor. They are the heads of The People Restored. I highly recommend that you go to their website, you go to their meetings, you get connected, thepeoplerestored.org, thepeoplerestored.com. Go and get educated, get connected. Right before we took our break, we Bobby, I'm sorry to interrupt you. We were asking, like, what do you think is the most difficult obstacle before us? And you, I so agree with both of you. And I love what you're saying, like, deciding to take the role, the stewardship and responsibility of educating our children and taking that on. It's not an easy decision, but as you were saying, you decided to do that. Yeah. Yeah, So, you know, for, for, you know, the example I was using is something that's inconvenient is homeschooling your kids. That's a, that's a lot. There's a lot less uh, manicures and pedicures and stuff for my wife, you know, because she's dealing with the kids all day. But ultimately, we see we see the difference in our kids and their development and their happiness and all of those things, and and ultimately, all all liberty and goodness is brought about by sacrifice. And so, getting people to begin making those sacrifices and saying, "Okay, I have to make a change," I think that's the hardest chance because hardest thing because convenience is very appealing. You know, that is so true. And I hear, well, it's so convenient. Why do you use Amazon? It's so convenient. Like, do you realize that you are building the empire of someone who wants to take you down, who wants to destroy you? Why do you keep giving them? And it is at the expense of really a free enterprise system, at the expense of free, fair, and honest exchange with with a moral compass. And I just want to say, as a mother of six children, who I did end up homeschooling my my last two, and you know what? I just want to just put into the minds of moms that think it's such a huge, it is, it's a huge sacrifice, and it's a huge thing to do. But, you know, you send your kids to school all day, then they come home, and then from three to six, seven, eight, you spend your evening letting the system that you turned your children over to rule and control your entire family. And now you're doing homework and now you're doing their agenda. You brought it into your home and now they're running your home and your family because you've let them run your child all day. So I invite everyone with no desire to be offensive. And I know I probably just was, but I don't mean to offend anybody, but honestly, one of the best things you could possibly do to your, for your children, to your children, for your family is to get your children out of public education. And not to say there aren't amazing public education teachers, but the system is, I don't believe that it's fixable. Get your kids out. There are so many issues. And I'm just telling you the connection and the bonds that you create with your family and your children when you have them at home. And you know, homeschooling, will you not would you not agree that you're done at noon or one if you want to be? 
And then your kids have so much more freedom and so do you. And then you have your evenings to do what you want and to build your family. So it's oh, kind yeah. of switching things. You you definitely get done far, far faster than they, than they do in public school. And then our kids are out uh, with the sheep or the goats um, doing doing some chores, learning some real world world skills, playing, uh, doing doing all kinds of um, enriching activities that they wouldn't get at school. You know, it's, it's funny because I feel like so much of it, I mean, what you're talking about with the convenience, I feel like convenience is the addiction that we're all trying to unplug from. And I mean, it's one of those things where it's like if you've used the TV as your babysitter long enough, then any parent who's done that, myself included, who's decided to unplug the TV effectively and you see the response your kids have, there's that immediate thought in your mind of like, I shouldn't let this kid watch this stuff because this is just, they're a monster right now, you know? And then we go back to it because it's convenient. It's like, well, this is just an easier solution. And I think to the point Bobby was making earlier, I mean, even with e, like going back to ESG and all of that, I mean, you, you have to decide what's most important. And I believe my, my, my fervent belief is that the 20th century was the century that Americans generation by generation surrendered the most precious things for convenience and it's going to take somebody it's going to take some generation to decide that they're willing to shoulder the burden of fixing it and if you if you don't do it then your kids are going to have to do it and if you've seen what's going on in the schools right now and you see what gen z is like good luck you know it's it's not going to get easier it's only going to get harder and you know, I just I really feel strongly that if you want to push back against all of this stuff, you have to decide that you're the generation where the buck stops, where there's going to be radical change. You're going to be incredibly uncomfortable because you're going to have to do things and sacrifice conveniences in order to have that happen. And you just have to decide, is your family worth that? And most people on the surface would say, oh, yeah, that's a really easy decision, but it's a really tough decision. Like, is it really worth it? Um, and my, my argument would be absolutely, because I don't feel I don't feel an ounce of regret um on the the radical shifts we've made so far that is so thrilling i just love it and i could not agree with you more and really the the real addiction is convenience it is well this is fast it's convenient i can do it online oh i can throw this this in front of my kid and keep him quiet or keep him occupied um so we we it is a completely different mindset and a change and it does require sacrifice, but I really believe that it is so worth it. It is so worth it. Nothing about liberty, freedom or liberty, because they are very different. But we are free to put ourselves in bondage. We are also free to liberate, to be liberated from the bondage of this world. And I think that apathy and ignorance and the 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 desire to have convenience are very intoxicating and they really do put us in bondage. So what specific, what companies would you have us steer away from? You mentioned BlackRock. How do we know if our investments or what companies are tied to BlackRock? And I'm, uh, I've, I've noticed that BlackRock has started doing commercials on television saying what a great company they are and how they're there for the little guy. So a lot of people are going to think BlackRock is just right there for them. Yeah, they can't. Uh, they know that they're 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 becoming a target. 
targets that they're trying to salvage yes. it. Let's see. There's BlackRock. There's Main Street. What are the other two, Bobby? That are the the investment State firms. Street. Yes, yes. BlackRock, State, State Street. Street, and Vanguard is another one. Vanguard, yes. So and no, and those more. are you know Vanguard and BlackRock are really easy because you can open up a Vanguard account and put it in, put your money in index fund and get pretty uh, stable, low risk return with them historically speaking, at least. And so I, I think I, you know, someone really should create a master list somewhere that you can go and look, you kind of just have to pay attention. Um, you know, I look at, at, at Coca-Cola, for example, I, I love Coke and I've been weaning myself off of their products because, well, they had, they had some, you know, ladies show up and talk about how whiteness is evil. And so I go, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not going to purchase this product if you're if your company is telling me that I was born evil because I'm a white European descent. So, sorry. Yeah, I don't know if I have any any do you, do you have any uh resources Phil where people can go look it up? It's just something I've kind of accrued over time. Yeah, I mean that's something we're working on to be honest with you is putting together something of a master list. I mean, I here's here's the way I look at it and this is really kind of the more challenging thing. And that is um, you can go through and, and find everything that everybody's doing that's wrong. I mean, I, it's almost overwhelming. Like if you get on social media and you're politically connected on social media, that's basically what the whole, the black hole you get sucked into. Uh, what, what I would suggest instead is uh, find, if you can't find it, then create it, but finding putting the time out to say, I want to do X, whether that's investing, whether that's grocery shopping, whatever it is, finding a company that shares your values. I mean, that's really what our organization is all about is finding those people because it's really uh, like, it's kind of like going on a diet. If your diet or you're, you're trying to make a change is just all removal of bad things. You're probably not going to last very long. You have to make deliberate choices to add specific good things in. Otherwise the, the vacuum just puts it right back in its place. So I would strongly suggest, you know, if you're, if you're looking at investing, then you need to take the time to research, you know, what somebody does with your money when they, when they invest your money and how do they decide what they're going to do with it. If you're going to um, have an online retailer like Amazon, take the time to say, who is, what, where is this person taking the profits and what are they investing in? It's like Coca-Cola. It's like, yeah, there is literally no negative thing in Bobby's life by not buying Coke products. There's literally nothing healthy about anything they sell. Even their Dasani <laughs> water is bad for you. It's like, I don't even exactly. know how they made, made water bad, but they did, you know? <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's acknowledging that, yeah, you're going to have to make those choices, but taking the time to do that. And then that's one of the great things about the community is meeting other people who are also taking that time makes it easier because someone can immediately go, oh, you know, Coca-Cola is like woke as heck. And you go, really? I didn't know that. And, you, you know, you can get involved. So, um, that, that's my suggestion is find good replacements and then it makes it easy to not look for all the bad. All you have to do is find someone that's doing the good and then decide that's where I want to put my money. Yep. So one, one thing that Phil mentioned is the creating of our own sort of master list and more, more than creating a master list of who's bad, our objective is to find, is to create the master list of who is good. So I love to, it. to talk about one of the things that we're doing, Phil mentioned this a little bit, we're launching a PMA or a private membership association. You can go Google what that is exactly. But um, basically the point of it is to have members join and pay dues and get a series of 
huge benefits. And one of those is we're going to go start identifying all the companies in Utah that are uh, not not woke, at least, um, or at least politically neutral, right? Mm-hmm. So that they're not trying to force their values down everyone's throat through their business. And they're not going to comply with ESG. We're going to create that. We're going to um, have them join and provide discounts and benefits to our members so that that way you, you can go and shop at places that you know you're giving money to people that actually support you and don't hate you. And we're going to be launching that early next year. So if people want to learn more about that, they should go to thepeoplerestored.org, sign up for our, our mailing list, and then they can be part of that. There's going to be a whole lot of other benefits to that as well, including some free firearms classes from the Utah Readiness Center um, and a whole bunch of other cool benefits for our members that we'll be announcing next year. Yeah. Fantastic. And ultimately... Yeah, ultimately, one of the benefits will be a professional network, too. So uh, the, the whole idea is uh, we taking care of our of our own, so to speak. Um, we need to s- decide what our community is and we take care of our own. So that means that if somebody decides to start standing for the right things, well, how much better, how much easier is that for you and your family if you know that you have an entire network of people that you can work for, do business with that aren't going to cancel you for having the wrong position? Um, it makes it easier to stand up for those things. So uh, um, it, there, there's going to be a lot to it, like Bobby said, but the, the main idea here is to build that positive list. Instead of focusing on all the places we shouldn't do things, let's build the solution of things we should do, and it makes it a lot easier. And it's so principled. You are really talking about the law of the voice. As, as soon as you remove something, something else will come in and fill yeah. it. And you're, I love your principle is that go find positive good things fill with that and that will in itself eliminate and remove those negative companies or those companies and i do love like there's nothing wrong with working with neutral companies i don't really i love living in a country where people can think for themselves and have their own ideology i'm fine about giving my business to a company who doesn't agree with me on everything as long as they're not using the proceeds to work against me and to take down my own right to stand for what I believe in. So I love like-minded. I love neutral. I just don't want to keep supporting companies that are trying to destroy my own freedoms. So um, this is really, really fantastic. I'm really, really excited. I love your idea. And I think that that being self-sufficient and connecting with other people that want to be self-sufficient, kind of creating kind of a tribe, as is the word now, but a family, an extended family of people that you love, that you respect and admire, and not necessarily agree on everything, but mostly agree on and want to want to create that. Self-sufficiency really is the key. And I, I'm really, really excited about what you guys are doing. Again, your, webs, your website is thepeoplerestored.com or .org, so people can go there. All right, so how would you say ESG has affected the ranchers? Do you feel like there is a resolution where we can create our own ranching system here in the state of Utah and other states can do the same thing where you create it and then sell it within the state. Yeah, absolutely. So I, the ways that 
that ESG affects ranchers are very horrifying. Um, and the means that they use to enforce it are, are, are scary as well. I mean, the primary way of enforcing ESG on ranchers is through access to credit. Uh, they've got to have a specific, they've got to like have a specific set of um, parameters that they follow in terms of their carbon footprint and stuff like that to access credit. That's, that's the dream. That's what's been happening to oil companies, including Utah oil companies. They've been losing things like access to credit and insurance in order to, um, because they don't comply with ESG standards because they're oil companies. Right. And that's happening to ranchers as well. A, A lot of people don't know know this but but ranching and farming relies a lot on credit in fact how much debt the average farmer rancher is in is is horrifying it's over a million dollars um just to run their operation and if they have to employ a bunch of environmental regulations around how much uh nit- or how much nitrogen they use uh, from fertilizer or how much carbon emissions um, that's going to become increasingly expensive and they're not going to be able to continue their operation period, especially cattle ranchers because they're already pinched. They're already in a situation where the big four processors have uh, monopolized to the point that they're, that they are paying the lowest amounts they've ever paid for cattle and, and have the highest um, margins that they've ever had. Right. That's exactly what happens in a monopoly. Yeah. So what what we need to do here in the state of Utah and everywhere else is we need to build the infrastructure so that we can expand small and private processing so that they are not beholden to the to these big monopolized processors who are uh, actually investing in fake meat products by the way. Yeah. Um and then the other component is that we need to sell within the state so that we're not beholden to the USDA. Um, because the USDA is on the, the, the side of ESG and environmental and on the side of the, the uh, monopolized processors. So if we can expand the local uh, processing plants here, which there's a lot of money to be made, a lot of consistent returns to be made actually for investors to do that, then we can begin to eat a lot more of our own beef and our own food products. And then in order to make that profitable for ranchers who are struggling right now, big time struggling, going bankrupt, selling their farms, um, is we can buy directly from them and cut out most of the middlemen and th- and give them bigger margins and make ranching uh, profitable again. Most ranchers are telling their kids, don't go into this. It's too stressful. There's too much debt. There's too much risk. There's too much unknowns. Uh, and this ESG stuff is crushing us too. And so we need to reverse course because we can't have all these people leaving ranching um, because we all like to eat, I think. Yeah, I think we do. I'm kind yeah. of addicted to it myself. So the big the big thing uh, it, that we need to do, one of the things I'm working on right now is an app called Crofter. This is my next big project. The Crofter app is going to allow consumers to to buy directly from local farmers so it's like an online farmers market and it kind of it kind of functions like amazon in that the farmer goes on and creates their own seller's account and then you can buy directly from the farmer through through the app and know exactly who produced your food and where it's processed and what they do and if you really want to go 
uh, nuts. You could go visit their operation and see exactly how it's going on. You know, it's very Oregon, uh, Portlandia, if you will. So I think that's what we have to do is we have to support our, our ranchers and expand the, our, our uh, processing capacity here in the state. Against self-sufficiency. And what we have to think about is our ranchers, we want to protect them because they're our neighbors, our friends, they're our fellow citizens. It's very important that they survive, but also for ourselves. Like yes. you say, we we need people, we need food. We don't ever want to get in the way of, uh, this is what I see happening a lot is public-private partnerships that are getting in the way of farmers and ranchers and food producers in producing food. And um, we have right now, even in the state of Utah with the Great Salt Lake, the very first resolution that they came up with was, let's pay farmers to not produce food. And then they won't have to use the water to water their food. And then we'll just pay them instead of producing food. And we'll use that water to go in the Great Salt Lake. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> who could possibly think that that is a really good idea? That just blows my mind that uh, they think that's a good yeah, idea. Yeah. The people that think that's a good idea are the people that want to centralize all food production even further. I mean, it's that that has been um, if you if you follow the Salt Lake Tribune like I do, unfortunately, um, that is a war drum. That, that is a war drum being beaten throughout the Salt Lake Valley right now is that alfalfa is so dangerous. It uses so much water. It's so bad for for everything. And it's like. Yeah, well, alfalfa is where meat comes from. I hate to break it to you, but it's the number one thing that our 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 beef eats um, to you know to keep them to get them all nice and fat and delicious. Uh, and and the the truth is is that that to me is a, a big that's another big threat specifically here in here in Utah is that there's this idea that we we can pay farmers to not farm, we can pay people to not raise food. And it's like, okay, well, where is that food going to come from? Well, we're going to depend further on a supply chain that failed us. Let, let's be honest about COVID. The supply chain failed us. Uh, and and can you imagine if there was a, a longer version and a worse version of that? I mean, COVID was relatively mild compared to supply chain disruptions that could happen, let's face it, as a result of international war, for example. And so... That, that's all I would strongly suggest is that, you know, if we start investing locally and we build our own local supply chains, we are so much more stable and robust against any type of threat that hits the world. And if, if people are fed and can drink, then, you know, we can we can have a decent civilization no matter what. We can survive a lot of things, but we really do need to have shelter and food and water in order to do it. So, again, I love the self-sufficiency there. And yeah, we really need to think things through. Again, they're trying to tie the ESG, this environmental social governance to our food supply, our, our including the ranchers and, and even to our education system that we did bring up. That is really being driven by a social and environmental governance of our education system and our children. So our time is almost up. I want to give you a minute if you have anything else that you want to say to kind of wrap up. Yeah, so I think I think the biggest thing is that everyone needs to realize that going on Twitter, going on YouTube, going on any social media platform or sitting around with friends or going to events where people talk and commiserate 
is mostly a waste of time. And at, at worst, it's actually demoralizing and can causes people to give up. So what I'm going to say is stop doing that. It's great to be informed, be informed, but you've got to show up and decide you're going to do something. The easiest thing you can do is drive your own self-sufficiency because we need collective action to solve the problem, but you can help your family's specific needs by becoming more self-sufficient and less controllable by those who are trying to destroy our freedoms. So you should start there. Start with your own household. And then once you've got that under control, then then look around and start looking for other problems that you can solve. Thank and- you so much, Bobby. Thank you so much, Bobby and Phil. Appreciate you. Remember, you are the guardians of your liberty. Thanks for being with us.